Well, we are continuing uh, through 1 Corinthians. In fact, we're almost done. Like we're, we will today crack into chapter 16. That is the very last chapter. So this week and next week, and we will be finished with 1 Corinthians. So I'm kind of looking forward to that. Also looking forward to today because today the sermon is all about money and giving. Aren't you glad I'm back? Right? Because I'm guessing you woke up today, you were eating breakfast, and you're thinking, you know, I just hope, oh God, I pray, could this morning's sermon be about money and giving? Because everybody loves when the church talks about that. <laughs> Amen. Right? <clears throat> okay, listen. This is one of the pleasures of going through a book of the Bible, passage by passage. And when the Bible speaks about it, we speak about it. It turns out the Bible speaks about money a fairly good bit. And the reason why is because money is an easy trap. It's an easy false god, a ready idol. And so that's why it talks about it a lot. You, you get to a point where you think you own your money, but it turns out your money owns you. You end up possessed by your possessions. You, you're possessed. That's, that's like not a good word biblically right? You're, you're possessed, right? Now, when you're in that spot, the best way to break its grip on you is to give your money away. Okay, maybe not all of it, but you get the idea. But, but to release your grip and to give it away. And if you can't, then you don't own money. Money owns you. You're possessed. And God wants so much more. He wants your freedom. He wants more for you. So here we are. We're going through 1 Corinthians. And one of the things we've encountered already is the idea that, that the Corinthian Christians, they're a dumpster fire. That church is a mess, right? And, and so one of the things they did is they wanted to define spirituality in these weird and wild ways, right? And Paul comes along at the end of the letter and goes, hey, um, why don't we talk about your money? <laughs> wait a minute, wait a minute. Can't I just keep my, my money's my business. Can't I just be greedy? Can't I just be like the culture around me, but I'll speak in tongues, I'll do wild things, and then I'm super spiritual, right? I was like, nope, it's not the way it works. Not the way it works. Now, before getting into the passage, let me say this. I know we are all growing, okay? We're at different points in the journey, and we're not looking for perfection in discipleship. We're looking for progress. That's all we're looking for, Okay? But I need to say this. If you are declaring the lordship of Jesus Christ in your life and that makes no impact on your money and your giving, you're lying to yourself, okay? We, we all need to just keep growing wherever you are, okay? All right. Seems like you have your attention. So let's go ahead and look at the passage. We're in chapter 16, verse 1. Now concerning the collection for the saints... As I directed the churches of Galatia, so you also are to do. On the first day of every week, each of you is to put something aside and store it up, as he may prosper, so that there will be no collecting when I come. And when I arrive, I will send those whom you accredit by letter to carry your gift to Jerusalem. If it seems advisable that I should go also, they will accompany me. First two words are now concerning. So remember the Christians in Corinth wrote Paul a letter and had certain questions. It's likely this was one of the questions. And so he's saying, hey, now concerning 
your concern that you raised. Let me address this. And the concern is the collection for the saints. What that means, you see that later they're going to send it out the door to Jerusalem. So it seems like this collection was entirely for a benevolence fund, a relief fund to help some poor Christians. We'll come back to that in just a second. But at least we catch that at the very start of the birth of the church, church is born, there was no building. There were no paid pastors. There were no paid staff. There were no outreaches. Lord have mercy, there were no donuts. Okay, all that stuff takes money, but that, all those things developed over time. Donuts took about 2,000 years for the church to get to that brilliance, right? But, but some of the other things they got to rather quickly such that they're in your New Testament. They weren't right away like this offering, this collection, but, but so for example, 1 Timothy chapter 5, verses 17 to 18 speaks about paying the elders who are particularly good at leading and teaching to pay them, that they become professionals supported by the church. That's what we do. We have elders, but then we have some who are really good at leading and teaching. We pay them, we call them pastors. That, that's actually in your new... T- so as the ministry of the church grew, the, there became the normalcy of giving to the church to support the church budget. Other things uh, developed... Uh, well, uh, I'll give you another peek at that one at least. Uh, just after our passage, a few verses later in verses 10 and 11, Paul says this. When Timothy comes, see that you put him at ease among you, for he is doing the work of the Lord as I am. So let no one despise him, help him on his way in peace, that he may return to me, for I am expecting him with the brothers. Now, in Paul's writing, putting him at ease and helping him on his way, that, that's code for support him financially. Why? Because he is doing the work of the Lord in your midst. He's serving you as a minister, so you support him. So there's hints of that already. All right, so uh, as I said, the, the collection then started to expand to include just the ministry of the church. But at first, evidently, as we see today in our passage today, that it was at first just a benevolence fund to take care of Christians. Notice what I said, to take care of Christians. There's a a fine point here that might surprise some of you, uh, but let me break it down a little bit. The, The New Testament talks about us as disciples of Jesus being generous and taking care of whatever needs God puts in our path. So it might be a hurting Christian, it might be a hurting non-Christians, we're generous and we take care of all. That's individual disciples as you live your life. Over and over throughout the New Testament, it's entirely consistent. When the giving is to and through the church, if it's a benevolence issue, that is to help Christians. We're taking care of family members in that case. It's very specific. Now, there's an upside to that because what it does is it clarifies the mission of the church. It keeps us on mission. Here is the mission of the church. It's the worship of God, the proclamation of the gospel, the sanctification of disciples, for example, the teaching of the word of God like I'm doing right now. And then the last bullet is the facilitation of Christian community. We're family. We take care. This is where we take care of each other. That fits in the mission, but that's the mission. Now, that means 
There are some bullets that don't make the list. So for example, the goal of the church is not to collect money from Christians in order to become a social safety net for the entire society. That was just never one of the goals. And it's important that we catch that because if not, two things happen. One, it puts an incredible burden on the church that wasn't supposed to be there. But secondly, it leads to mission drift. We start to think that's our mission when actually that right there is our mission. Okay? And we don't want mission drift. Now, nonetheless, uh, I'm saying that when the collection is to and through the church, if it's for benevolence, it was specifically targeted towards Christians. However, that doesn't mean it's for Christians just in our local church. We care about the full family of faith spread around the globe. And, and so you'll see in our passage that <clears throat> they were raising money to send it across the Mediterranean to Jerusalem, to Jewish Christians there. That, that's a, a really cool thing. Now, you, it's in our passage, but also you'll see it in Acts 24, Romans 15. It speaks about this collection for Jerusalem. What was going on there? Well, there's a famine. There's a famine, and so there was not enough food, and people were starving. And so money was going there to help out. But the Christians had it particularly bad. It's not because, like, we eat more food. Like, we're gluttons, and so we need more. Now, wasn't it? Uh, it was probably a result of persecution. Jews from around the world were sending money to Jerusalem for the relief effort there. And these Christians in Jerusalem were Jewish by race, but they had become believers in Jesus Christ, and they were probably being denied the food distribution from those relief funds. And so the church of Jesus stepped up and said, we'll take care of our own. And that's why this is going on. There's a really cool thing that flows from that then. It shows solidarity between Gentile Christians and Jewish Christians. Okay, drop the Christian thing for a second, just Gentiles and Jews. So Gentiles are non-Jews, right? And, and there was racial animosity for them going back millennia. They did not like each other at all. Well, then some Gentiles come to Jesus, some Jews come to Jesus. One Lord, one faith, one baptism, one church. You're folded into one family of faith. You're brothers and sisters, period. And so they said, okay, we'll take care of our family in Jerusalem. So what you had is predominantly Gentile churches in Gentile lands raising funds to send it to Jewish Christians. And that was a message. There was a message to Gentile Christians. There was a message to Jewish Christians. And there was a message to the watching world that was looking at the church to say, this is about love and unity in Jesus Christ. It's a really cool thing that took place. All right, that's your history lesson, because as much as you love talking about money, you also love lots of detailed history, right? Good. <clears throat> so now we say, okay, well, how does this impact us? And as I said, the collection uh, quickly in, in the church, even in the New Testament, started to expand to include the budget of the church. And, and there was this growing ministry, and uh, so that came to include things, like, I joked already, like donuts, but also coffee. Lord have mercy, you tried to do church today without offering coffee. It's going to be a problem. It's going to be a big problem. So 
These things cost money and the budget supports it. So there are principles in this passage that we can pull out and we can apply to our giving today. And I'm going to do my best to sprint through them. You'll see why in a second. But uh, if you look back at our passage, I'm going to highlight, you see it bolded in italicized there, various sentences like, here you go, as I directed the churches of Galatia, so you also are to do. The first principle we can pull out is this is for all Christians. This is a normal part of discipleship. Uh, Listen, disciples of Jesus, we all make withdrawals from the church. We all kind of like, hey, where's my money? No, like like we benefit from the ministry of the church. Disciples also make deposits. Consumers only make withdrawals. They just take Disciples make deposits. And because that, Paul's like, listen, this is what Christians do. You'll notice Paul doesn't get into some emotional appeal to gin up the, the crowd to say, now give. No, he's like, he's very plain about it. This is what we do because this is what disciples do. It's just a normal part of being a Christian. It's expected. Second principle we can see here, he says uh, on the first day of every week, the first day. So this is the first fruits principle. It comes from the Old Testament when uh, those who were worshiping the Lord would bring from their grain. They would bring the first harvest. Or if you were from your flock, you would give the firstborn of the flock. You gave to God first. Gave to God first. And so you see it's on the first day of the week. It's important because if, if you wait till the end of the pay cycle... <laughs> a couple of, one you're giving God leftovers and God is worth way more than leftovers right but the other problem is there's nothing left over right like you wait oh, I'll give God what's left at the end of the nothing left and that's and that's a problem so what that means then is you're giving listen closely your giving would never be impacted by something like inflation pew pew shots fired all right moving on um <clears throat> Because you give to God first, right? That's, that's first fruits. Uh, it also means that your giving is not just a duty. <laughs> I said duty. Um, <laughs> all right. So your giving, your giving is not just an obligation. It's not just, but it is a declaration. It's worship. It's trust. It's faith. It's dependence. I'm going to give to God first because God is first. It's a declaration that your giving is one of the most spiritual things you do. You declare the lordship of Jesus Christ. He is first. Another thing that is in here, it says each of you. This one's just very simple. It means each of you. Right? right? Which means, listen, listen, I know we're at all different points. I'm begging you. Never give nothing. It's for you. It's so, it's so much easier to steer a moving ship right? So never give nothing, each of you. Then I think there's a hint at a percentage in here. He says, as he may prosper, as he may prosper. Now, that does not mean so that he may prosper. This is not health and wealth garbage that, hey, if you give to the church, you'll all be millionaires. No, stop it, right? So it's not that. It's it's as God has prospered you, so you give. So if you make more, you give more. If you make less, you give less. That's a percentage. And and so long-held percentage has been 10%. That's called the tithe. Uh, It's been around a while. Now, uh, that brings up the question, well, is the tithe still in effect? And I don't have time to get into that. 
but I do have videos for you. So uh, I have a string of Ask Pastor Rick videos. We'll send out the links. Uh, we've sent them out before. We'll send them out again. I'm asking if you have not watched them yet, please watch them. And if you have watched them, but you're not living it out, watch them again. <laughs> so we'll send those out to you and, and they'll fill in some of the finer details, okay? All right, now, uh, fifth, one of the things I noticed is that it is to and through the local church. Notice he says, what he says is each week they're bringing it and they're giving it to the church so that when he shows up, there's no collection to be taken at the time because it's already given to and through the local church. Now, uh, what that means is the individual Christians in Corinth weren't sending money on their own to Jerusalem to a ministry there. They gave it to the church and the church gave it. I'm not going to overstate the case. I'm not saying it's wrong to give to other ministries. Shannon and I do all the time, and we love it. That's okay. What I am saying is I think it's wrong if you don't give to your local church. If you skip that, I think the lion's share of your giving should go to your local church. And by the way, like I, I get squeamish talking about my own giving, uh, but, but I also there's a risk. Like I, I, don't, I want you to know I will never ask you to do something that I don't do. Okay? And so I'm not exempt from this. We give 10% of my gross income to Redemption Chapel. We do it by automatic transfer, and it just happens like clockwork. Okay? So I will never ask you to do something I don't do myself. To and through the local church. Uh, and then uh, sixth principle is, remember, it's going out to Jerusalem. So we're not just taking care of me and mine. We're, we're concerned about the global church of God, and we are taking care of needs out there. And then last principle you'll notice is uh, stewardship and accountability and oversight. What they're going to do is they're going to take a couple representatives from Corinth, send it with that bang gift. We're going to make sure that it goes to Jerusalem to the needs it said it was supposed to go to and not get Shanghai to something else. We're going to make sure. There's stewardship. It's showing that uh, we, don't, we don't want to misuse funds. We don't even want the appearance of misused funds. So let me take a moment and, uh, on a sidebar and tell you some of the things, I don't have time for all of them, but some of the things we do for accountability and oversight here at our church. Because I want you to have confidence. Our budget is approved by the elders every year. That's important. The reason why is, I, okay, there's 10 elders. I'm an elder. I'm the only staff elder as the lead pastor. The other nine are non-staff. They receive no salary from the church. They give as well. I know that. I don't know you're giving. I, I keep myself away from that information, <clears throat> except when somebody's up for being an elder. I look because I want to know, are they invested? Are they putting where your treasure is there? Your heart will be also. So, so I want to make sure that they're, they're invested. These, these men and, uh, and their wives, their families, they give, but they don't receive. And so we have nine lay Elders, members of you of the congregation that oversee the budget and say, is this where we want the church's money going? That's oversight right there. By the way, our staff team almost always comes in under budget every month. We certainly do every fiscal year. We, our staff are very good stewards of the money. Plus, their lead pastor is a Scotsman, and the Scots are stingy folks, so that's also how it happens. Just letting you know, right? But uh, we come in under budget. We have an independent audit done by an accounting firm with no connection to our church. It's done every other year. And we come through with flying colors every time. On the off years, we have the elder treasurer 
review the finances and look it over himself to kind of fill in those gap years. Another thing we do is the pastors don't handle the money. Now, we have expenses like the rest of our staff, and I have to justify them and send receipts in and all that stuff. So, uh, yeah, in that sense, we, we have expenses. But if you come to me with cash or with a check, I will take you to a deacon and not touch it. I'll hand you off. I'll take you to a box in the back. We don't take them. We're trying to keep our pastors. We're pr- protecting our pastors and protecting our church because enough pastors have screwed up with money, and we don't want that here. So we try to be careful of that. The point is we use money, yes, but we manage it well. And, and I'll tell you what, from top to bottom in this church, we are mission-oriented, not money-oriented. It's very important, especially for a growing church. It can't be about the money. It's got to be about Jesus and his kingdom. Now, there you go. There's seven things I pulled out. You didn't know there was so much packed in there, but it's right there. Now, uh, remember, the, the Christians in Corinth, they wanted to define spiritual in weird and wild ways, but Paul is saying, no, 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 let's talk about your money. He wants them to be free, not to be slaves, but to be free from being possessed by an idol of money. He wants them under the lordship of Jesus Christ. He wants them in love with Jesus and his kingdom. That's what it's all about. In fact, we're about to pick up the passage again in in verse 5 and following, And in this next section, you almost start to think at first that it's kind of Paul getting to the end of the letter doing those wrap-up details, business stuff, just take care of it. And no, but I I think God's saying something in this about Jesus and his kingdom. That's why I ran through those principles real quick because I wanted to get to this part. This part excites me more. Look at this. He says, I will visit you after passing through Macedonia, for I intend to pass through Macedonia, and perhaps I will stay with you or even spend the winter, so that you may help me on my journey wherever I go. For I do not want to see you now just in passing. I hope to spend some time with you, if the Lord permits. But I will stay in Ephesus until Pentecost, for a wide door for effective work has opened to me, and there are many adversaries. I think this is about living kingdom-oriented lives. Paul is saying, listen, this is not just business. This is family. He loves them. He's invested in them. He's invested in a church there, like heart investment. And so he doesn't want to just swing through Corinth and pick up a check on his way through town to get to Macedonia to plant churches. He also wants to stay there for winter, spend time there, because he loves Jesus, he loves his kingdom, he loves his church, and he loves them. Paul's all about Jesus and his people. But there's always this tension in ministry. And I don't just mean for like pastors. I mean for you guys. As you get involved in ministry more and more, as good Christians, you'll discover this tension between being with the people of God and just hanging out with my peeps and going out to do ministry for God. There's always this tension. And Paul feels that. He wants to just hang out and minister to them. but, But at the same time, he feels this tug to go plant more churches. There's a tension. The other thing you'll see there is in the passage, Paul says, for a wide door for effective work has opened to me and there are many adversaries. (laughs) Wait a minute. I thought adversaries and difficulty, doesn't that mean a closed door? 
It's usually how we live, right? Oh, this is tough. Must be a closed door. Paul says, no, no, no. It's going to be difficult, but Jesus called us to this, and it's going to be good ministry. And so even though it's tough, but we're called to it, let's get her done. Let's go. Let's build the kingdom of God. So Paul doesn't shy away from hard stuff. Why? He is living a kingdom-oriented life. It's about the value of eternity, the glory of Jesus, the preciousness of the gospel, the lostness of people, and the beauty of the kingdom of God. And that stuff has Paul's heart. And hey, it'll be difficult, but let's go. He'll, he'll go with courage and with sacrifice, but he's saying it's worth it. Paul has found a worthy cause. Paul has found the worthy cause. God and kingdom. Let's do it. Worth it. Worth it. So I think God knew exactly what he was doing when he put that passage right after the part about giving. Now, I don't think God was sitting around hoping Rick would pat him on the back today, so it's not the issue. But I think it was very intentional. Here is what I'm saying. If you are not living for the kingdom of God, giving will never make sense. It'll always feel like a foreign language that you don't understand. It just won't quite fit. And it's not about your giving, it's about what you're living for. That's the difference right there. Let me put it this way. Got a chessboard here, or checkers, you could play on it as well. You know what the most important decision is that you'll make in the game? It's what side to play. Because on the back of this one's a backgammon board, right? Most important decision you're going to make is which side of the board are you going to play? Because if you want to double jump, you want to say king me, you want to say uh, check, you want a castle, you'd better be on this side of the board. Because if you're on this side of the board, it's not going to fit. It's weird. If you want to bear off, or you want to double the stakes, or you want to roll dice, you'd better be playing on this side of the board. Because if you're playing over here, listen, if you roll dice in chess, people are going to slap you. Okay? Like it's, it doesn't fit. Right? It doesn't go. It's the wrong game. That is the problem. You've got to play a whole different game. If you want to roll dice, you have to play a different game. Now, question is, are you living... American dream Christianity or kingdom-oriented Christianity? And, and that's, that's a whole different game, and you'll have to decide which one you play. If you decide to play American dream Christianity and you come along to roll the dice of generosity and giving, you'll find it doesn't fit in the game. And it's not about how you roll the dice. It's that you're on the wrong side of the board. And that's the problem. If you play on this side of the board, you'll find the rolling dice fits. And so when you're a kingdom-oriented Christian, generosity and giving, it's like, yeah, duh. Absolutely, I love it. It fits. It fits. And so the main issue is which side of the board you are going to play. So which side are you on? Well, when you daydream, do you daydream about having a life like Paul? Or do you daydream about the American dream. Let's be honest. Let's be humble. Let's be real. Most of us daydream about American dream kind of things. Well, guess which side of the board you're on. 
Most of us, without realizing it, have tied our financial decisions to an assumed standard of living. And that's our master, and that's locked in, and that's inalienable. You have to have that. That's set in stone. In that case, we have chosen a side of the board, and a lot of decisions have already been made for us. And when we come along with the dice of generosity, it doesn't fit. All right, let me help you get at it this way. Uh, <clears throat> you are all one percenters. I don't know if you knew that. The, the term one percenter refers to, usually we talk about the upper one percent of wealth in America. But if you go from a global standard, okay, if you have $50,000 of combined household income, okay, now what, so that's like if you have a two-income two family, wife and husband, both are earners, you combine your salary, if that's above 50000 you're like, well, duh. because That's probably most of the, if not all the houses represented in here. If you have that, you're in the upper 1% of the world's wealth. You understand that? You are one percenters. And yet, we have difficulty saving. We're drowning in debt. We have difficulty giving. We don't like when our church talks about money. And in our marriages, we bicker about money all the time. Guess which side of the board you're on, right? Now, it's not, <laughs> I don't care that you own money. I just don't want money to own you. I don't want you to be possessed by your possessions. I want you to be free. And that's my concern. You're not giving, but it's not because you have a giving problem. It's because you have a living problem. You're on the wrong side of the board. And that's what I want to, I want you to do, I want you to take that board and I want you to flip it over. And I want you to be these kind of, I want you to live for the value of eternity. I want you to live for the glory of Jesus Christ. I want you to live for the preciousness of the gospel and the lostness of people and the beauty of the kingdom of God. That's worth your life. That's what you're called to. Live for those things. The giving will take care of itself. My fear is that as pastors, we too often, we leave people on the wrong side of the board, we don't address those issues, and then we come along and we try to talk them into giving. And it just doesn't fit, and everyone's frustrated. Nobody likes it. And that's when we start bickering over things. Well, is the tithe still in effect? Is it gross or net? We're on the wrong side of the board. I, uh, those are good questions. I answer those in my video. But uh, Lord have mercy, I want you on the right side of the board. That's the issue. If you live for God and his kingdom, the, the details of giving will sort themselves out. We'll be fine, okay? If you don't live for God and kingdom, giving will never quite fit. Know this. The kingdom of God will be fine. God's not short on cash. He'll be all right. You won't be. You'll miss out. You'll be a slave. And God wants way more for you than that. Way more. It's one of the most spiritual things you do. When you give from Kingdom Vision, some cool things happen. First of all, you give with vision. Okay? Listen, folks, think about this. Think about our bonus Sundays when we watch those redemption story videos. That's why we give. Think about all the baptisms and the stories that we've heard. That's why we give. Marriages have been healed. I know not everyone. Boy, so many marriages have been restored and healed. That's why. Addicts who have encountered recovery and, and are growing. People who have, did not know Jesus, they knew religion, and now they are going to populate eternity and walk with Jesus. Ah, oh, that's why we give. 
And we've got people who say, listen, I've been a Christian for 40 years, came here, and I'm growing and learning like I never have before. That's why we give. We give with vision. It's not just obligation, because we're playing on that side of the board. And when we do that, we give with joy. 2 Corinthians talks about God loves a cheerful giver. That word cheerful literally means hilarious. That as you give, you're just like giddy. Like you, just, you find it hilarious. There's such joy. Why? Because that's your kingdom, that you're, you're God's kingdom. You love it. And it flows. It flows. When that happens, what I think might happen with it, you will come to me as your pastor and you will beg me, Pastor Rick, can we please give more? And I, <laughs> that'll be new. And, 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 and then I'll be in the position of going, okay, calm down. Slow down, cowboy. Like, right? You feel that shift? That's a side of the board shift. The board flipped over. That's what just happened. That's a shift. Now, I want to give you the opportunity to live that out. Some of you early in the service are like, did they forget about the offering? They didn't, they didn't do that part. Oh, we didn't forget. We kept it for after this message, right? Doesn't that seem manipulative? Like I'm trying to work you through the word of God to get more money for our church? And I knew you'd thought that you would think that. So uh, I went to the elders and I asked them to do something unique today. Let me be honest with you. Giving has plateaued, probably because of the economy and people not doing first fruits. I don't know. And I'm a little concerned about it, but I don't care because when they gave in this passage, they sent it all out the door to Jerusalem. And that's what we're going to do. Well, Portugal. So we have a church plant and missionaries that we support there and they have some significant needs and they're our family, and we love them. And so whether you give in the boxes in the back, whether you give electronically, whether it's today or really this week, we're talking a week of giving, goes from today through Saturday, 100% of it is going out the door to a mission in Portugal. Now, I love you guys, and I, I, want, you, I want the best for you. I want you to be free. I want you to play in the kingdom game. I want you on that side of the board. I want the best for you. And so let us together really bless our brothers and sisters in Portugal and that church there. In fact, what we'll do here in a second, we'll watch a video. Band will come back out. They'll, we'll worship together and give during that time, okay? For now, watch this. Hey, Redemption family. It's Tommy and Mitchell here with our local pastor, Mateusz. Um, and we just wanted to communicate some of the needs of our church plant with you guys this morning. So needs... Um, we actually have a few of them. We, I would like to start out with the building. Um, our building, this is where we're talking to you guys from. We have an amazing facility here, but needs some improvement. For instance, we need to improve our stage from non-existent to actually having one in here. Um, we also need to, to create a space for us to have some biblical pastoral counseling. Yes, I worded right. So still speaking about things that don't exist, we don't actually have a sign that says that we're a church yet, and we would love for the community to be aware that we're here to serve them and glorify our Lord in this place. Uh, we have a different project that is to finish up a studio upstairs. Uh, we have music lessons going there to, to reach out for the, the community and have unsafe people here at our church building. But also, we would like to generate some more Christian content, some biblical uh, stuff for the edification of the saints here um, in Portugal. And also to create some worship music that glorifies our Lord and Portuguese. 
Because Mateusz has a beautiful voice. Some days. Um, guys, another big need uh, that our team has right now is uh, we'd love to raise some money for a car for the Zigglers. Unfortunately, um, they have been wrestling with car issues for over a year now. They were scammed um, from a dealership and they've been without a car for over a year. They've been barring friends, family um, here. And um, yeah, it would be, it's a, it's a huge need for them to be able to obviously just get around with their family, but do ministry through it, take people places um, and just serve um, our community here. And finally, arguably our biggest need would be a salary for Mateusz. Um, that is why he was recently in the States um, to raise funds for that, still a need for that. Uh, we have a great, capable, amazing, loving pastor here, but we can't fund um, his salary for his family, which is growing um, with one on the way. So. That'd be amazing to bless him with, um, with that support. Uh, we want to thank you again, guys, for this opportunity to share these needs. And we just pray that uh, the Lord would work on your hearts in generosity and giving. And we're just so blessed to have you guys back home supporting us from afar. Bye, guys. Bye.